Hi guys and welcome to Waiting in the Wings with me, Lucy and Anthony. So we're now on to the second half of our first season of Waiting in the Wings. We hope you've enjoyed the episodes that you've been listening to so far. So this podcast is about everything musical theatre, chatting about shows that we've seen recently on the West End and kind of how they're shaking up the scene today. Okay, so we're going to start with our first segment. Our lovely overture, which is our news and other news. Indeedy, and I will be taking the news this week. Now, Lucy, it has been... Has it been a busy one? It has been a busy one over the past week. I had to, like, narrow down the amount of news I picked because it was just too much. And I was like, we don't want to just a podcast on news this week. Unless you like that. Unless you... Send us a comment. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, we're going to start with some announcements first of new shows that are coming to the uh, West End. So, our first one is The Bridges of Madison County, uh, which is a show that's written by Jason Robert Brown, who is the guy that did, obviously, Last Five Years, 13, and uh, Parade. Um, it's coming to the Menier Chocolate Factory from the 12th of July to the 14th of September and is going to be directed by the amazing Trevor Nunn, who did Fiddler. Um, and, well, Fiddler of Menier, how- but Fiddler is the most recent thing he did, which he also did at the Menier Chocolate Factory. Yeah, so maybe that's... Yeah. Uh, this show's going to like sell out again because yeah. like it's been it's quite a big thing in the states obviously because it's Jason Robert Brown everyone like fangirls over him what is um, the story behind I don't actually know I've never seen it or listened to the music I've just heard that people rave about it um, is it like it sounds like I don't Bridges know. of Madison County. I don't know. It kind of sounds like a Real Housewives thing. I'm not going to lie. Don't, I don't think it but is. But I don't think it's anything like that. <laughs> um, I think it's something to do with the couple. I have no idea. Uh, people comment, tell us what it's about. It sounds very American. Yeah. But let's just see yeah um and jenna russell is going to be starring as the lead in it so oh. yeah very exciting well, i think then. if you want to go see it probably book tickets very quickly because i mean it's probably already sold out yeah uh next up prince of egypt is opening in the west end in february 2020 at the dominion theater so i think it'll be taking over from white christmas yeah so it goes um, big yeah. white christmas and, and then, then um prince of egypt um it's based on the film that's very exciting uh, have you seen the film is that the one where they kill all the babies? Yes, it yes, is. Yes, okay. Yeah. I used to cry because yeah, it's it's, sad. A, it's <laughs> a really it's a really good film. Um, yeah. It's obviously uh, written by Stephen Schwartz, mm. um, and it's going to be directed by a guy called Scott Schwartz. Relation? Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. But he did Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, oh. But it's coming from um, I can't remember what the theater's called, but it's in Los Angeles. If you ever watch any of the trailers, oh my god, it looks phenomenal like spectacle or? spectacle okay. absolutely and obviously you've got some bangers in there as well but they're adding a couple of new songs for the show too is it on the long uh, along the lines of like aladdin production value no it no it's, it's very it's more of a serious production well you know okay. aladdin's very glitz and glamour yeah, very um prince of egypt obviously telling the story of moses yeah. and his uh coming to egypt yeah. and the 10 plagues and that story so it's kind of more of a spectacle on like the lines of, like miss saigon kind of spectacle where it's just this like wow big big sets big worlds type of thing you know and the final big announcement which is the one that everyone's kind of been raving about is um hairspray is coming to the west end in april 2020 um, it's going to be at the coliseum uh which is kind of a quite musical theater theater but i think they also do a lot of operas and ballets yeah. Uh, Michael Ball will be starring as Edna Turnblad once again. So he did that uh, before, and he's obviously returning to the role. That's so exciting. Uh, how do you feel? How do you feel about Hairspray coming back? Oh, I'm so excited! I saw it when it went on tour. I remember my mum got us all front row seats to see it at the Sunland Empire, and it was amazing. And Link winked at me, just saying that was like my 13 year old like. But was it Zac Efron? No, it wasn't. But the production value was really great. Um, all the costumes and stuff were fantastic. And um, I really loved the movie. Um, and I used to be obsessed with watching like the backstage um, clips of them in rehearsal with like Britney Snow and everyone. Um, and I was obsessed with the fact that like, Adam Shankman directed and choreographed it. So I was like, this better be good. This better be good. This better be good. Um, and it was. Good. It was fantastic. So awesome. I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm excited. I think... I think Hairspray is one of those ones that's like kind of like a cheesy musical that I can kind of just be like, you know what, it's Hairspray, so I'll let. Uh, but it does have an empowering. It does, it does, yeah. Underneath it. So. Um, okay, so we're going to be talking about openings now. So uh, 
Amour. Yeah, Amour has just opened at Charing Cross Theatre. It is a musical about a man who can walk through walls. Oh. <laughs> it's like a French story. Um, it's meant to be like an adult's fairy tale, but it's um really it's going to be really good. It's directed by Hannah Chiswick, who I've had the pleasure pleasure of working with. Oh. Um, so all the viewers out there, if that sounds like something that interests you, definitely go and check it out. Um, also, Nine to Five has been extended into twenty twenty. Yay! Because I this is why. really a show that we want to see. Extended at I know, I know why it has. It's just, it's bringing the audiences in. It's bringing that very um, women between the age of, I think, like thirty-five to like fifty. They can bring their parents. It's like it's child. It's it's adult enough that they think they're going to see like something that they couldn't really bring their kids to. Yeah, but it's. It's oh, nice. it's just a shame because like it's like the is such a good space. Like oh, I don't yeah. know, it just feels annoying that it's taken up by nine to five. But nine oh well. Uh, obviously, Louise Redknapp and Amber Davies um, and Natalie McQueen, I assume, are staying on. Uh, but I don't know hundred um, percent. Okay, some casting news: um, Maria Friedman and Anita Dobson will be joining the Fiddler cast from the eighteenth of June. Ooh. Maria Friedman, you probably know as the iconic narrator from uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor yeah. Dreamcoat, amongst millions of things. Um, and Anita Dobson is also a well-known musical theatre star. Uh, they will be playing Golda and Yenta, respectively. Um, so me and Luce are going to hopefully see the show soon. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it will be when they're in, but it's exciting that they've got some bigger stars coming in, obviously kind of changing things up to yeah, kind of get more fans in. Into the role. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Kimberly Walsh from Girls Aloud will be joining Jay McGuinness in Pig the Musical. I mean, I love Big the Movie, and I'm really sad because star casting with regards to a member of a girl band and a member of a boy band doesn't bode well for the show itself it always makes me think if those are the type of people that you're casting in the show it obviously means that the show itself isn't strong enough to sell tickets yeah without a star member obviously there's some exceptions to the rule like for example everything's just gone from my head what show's got a good star in it i think like everyone's talking about jamie i guess it's still quite a good show even though they keep bringing in her yeah so yeah that's probably an exception to the rule like bianca yeah is in it right now and i'm sure the show will still be uh, uh, fantastic yeah but it just doesn't bode well since it's like the first time that big's coming to the west yeah it's not even really like a musical theater star in a way is it yeah yeah especially kimberly wall she was like she wasn't even the best one from girls aloud let's be real (laughs) we love you but (laughs) we speak the truth i'm dead um (laughs) And I bring you the closing part four of the Joseph. And we thought it was over, but it's not. Um, Obviously, they've just cast the rest of the show now. So there's no massive big stars. Um, So now they've wrapped up. Um, There has been a little bit of drama about the casting, the final bit. As all the brothers are, well, the predominantly are white. Um, Which originally, I guess, wouldn't have mattered because Joseph... um, had a, a, an eclectic mix of races. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now that we kind of moved into a more progressive um, mm. and diverse, well, we uh, are aiming towards a more diverse kind of industry. It should be, yeah. Uh, is it still acceptable for Joseph, which is set kind of in the Middle East, I believe? Sort of like around Egypt. I think uh, it's kind of like... It's, more it's, Africa, it's, Israel type area. It's one of those places a bit like aladdin where there's no set yeah um country region so i feel like they can get away well with i think they're in like, like canaan and that's around I mean, like the course, uh egypty israeli jordany area um so obviously that's not where <laughs> white people, white are, people from. <laughs> are from uh do you have any opinions around this can they use this excuse that it's joseph I don't think we should be giving anyone excuses anymore exactly, with yeah. regards to casting. I think there's been such paves in the way of diversity, diversity, and also the fact that it is such a well-known show on such a high. Um, yeah. It's the Palladium that could be the perfect platform yeah. to show a more diverse cast. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, they do have a they do have a couple of BAME actors in that in the uh, lineup, but still, it's uh, a bit. Are awkward. they in the minority? Yeah. Are they, yeah, yeah. are they playing? Is it usually the this? I mean, this is what I've seen so from co- this is what I've seen from headshots and comments on Twitter. So okay. again, I don't want to be speaking out of line. But yeah, it's the same with the wives. They're all white. So most of them, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll see what goes down with that one. Um, but anyways, to close, um, and aptly, it's a show that's closed this week. Uh, well, when this podcast comes out, it would have been a week ago. Uh, Follies has closed at the National. It closed on the 11th of May and will be taken over by Small Island, which is a play. 
Um, so obviously this podcast is about this show. So we will kind of wrap up the overture here. Okay, so... It's time for our main segment today. So Indeedy. we will be talking about the show that Anthony obviously oh, yeah. forgot. I just can't believe that you thought it was... Not even the right thing. It wasn't. It wasn't even close. I'm so embarrassed. When did you thought you? Could I see just. It? I just. When I booked it, I was so sure that it was on this certain day. You know, when you've just fixed something so yeah. in your head, and like you haven't even. Like I don't think I even checked the receipt. I just think I just was like, it's on this day. It's then. Yeah, that's. But it was so dumb because I even put it in my diary. It's the <laughs> night. What is hilarious is that you were like, it, I'm sure it was something like the twenty. 20- it was like the, yeah the 25th of March and you were like March. yeah I'm seeing it on the 25th of March and then you were like not only am I seeing it in May I'm seeing it on the 9th <laughs> it's not even the same day uh, idiot. anyways uh, I digress um, so uh, for those of you who have not seen Follies we'll give you a couple of little bits of facts um, so Follies um, originally opened on April 4th in 1971 mm-hmm. so it's an old boy um, it was on Broadway at the Winter Garden Theatre um, and has then featured kind of everywhere across the States and also in the UK as well as places like Madrid. Um, it first opened on the West End in 1987 at the Shaftesbury Theatre and starred uh, Diana Rigg, who, of uh, those of you who are Game of Thrones fans, is the iconic Olena Tyrell, uh, <laughs> the matriarch of the Tyrell household. Um, and also Eartha Kitt took over as Carlotta at one point as well. Interesting. Um, and over the years, it has seen like any big musical theatre star has gone through follies at some point. So Mandy Patinkin, Ruthie Henschel, Bernadette Peters, Victor Garber, Christine Baranski, Carol, Bur- Carol Burnett, uh, Elaine Page, Kelly O'Hara and Elaine Stritch have all at some point been in the show. So obviously... A lot of big people are behind this show and love it a lot. Yeah. Um, it was revived in London at the National Theatre on the 22nd of August 2017 and ran until January 3rd in 2018 and starred Imelda Staunton, um, Janie D, Peter Forbes, Tracy Bennett and Philip Quast. Um, and then had a little break and then returned later to the Olivier Theatre on February 4th, 2019 with Joanna Riding and Alex Hansen taking over as the roles of Sally and Ben respectively. So obviously that was Imelda Staunton and Philip Quast that um, left. Um, it's racked up a ton of awards, like so many, both in its original and its revival. So um, in the 1972 Tonys, it won Best Actress. Alexis Smith won that. It got Best Original Score, Best Direction, Best Choreography, and pretty much all the design awards, set, costume, and wow, lighting. Sweet. And then in the Olivier's in 1987, it also got Best Musical, which it then re-won for its revival in 2018. That's pretty. So has done really, really well Did as, it get as a show. get nominated for any more Olivier's? Or all the same ones. Yes, it was nominated for like a ton of Olivier's and uh, Tony's, but I think it won better on the Tony's side. Oh, okay. So not so many Olivier's. I actually think it was only nominated for two Olivier's, but again, I fact okay. check is bad on that one, so I don't exactly know. Um, so Follies is what we kind of know as a um, backstage musical. Um, so for those of you who are not... Uh, kind of read up on like different types of musical theatre there's normally two formats of musical theatre that have come through the ages which is either a backstage musical or an integrated musical uh integrated musicals are your stuff like oklahoma where it's a story uh with song to it whereas a backstage musical is something that focuses on uh a uh a kind of like a show within a show so it's looking at theatre and kind of like a, a backstage if that mm-hmm. makes sense um so what are um some more examples so 42nd backstage? street is a backstage musical yeah. uh uh, chorus line would yeah. be a backstage musical. What are your, some of your favourites? Have you got any particular ones that you like, Luce? Like, are you a fan of Chorus Line? Fan of? Um, well, well, actually, I really want to see Forty Second Street. I've had very different opinions about um, that show, like for the spectacle and for the the tap and everything. But then I also know the tap's click track, so I'm like, I don't know if that breaks the illusion of yeah. all the tap <laughs> dancing in Forty Second Street. Um, I think the Chorus Line is a brilliant. Um, like concept for backstage musicals yeah um, especially because a lot of the characters are really relatable as an actress myself like i think that's really an interesting way to put across the theater scene without it like being shoved down your throat like this just uh well it's a look into like actors lives isn't it yeah so like do you think there's any reason why uh backstage musicals are created like do you think they have a kind of particular stance on what they're telling um well i think I think you have to... It's not looking inwardly. It's like art within art. Do you know what I mean? It's I, very liminal, actually. It's, it's like a critique, isn't it? I yeah. guess, on, on the industry itself. Yeah. It's um, like um, that picture of a pipe. 
Yeah. Just be on pipe. This is a pipe. This is yeah. the So yeah. some other backstage musicals as well. Uh, kind of Showboat is a backstage musical, Kiss Me Kate, and uh, Gypsy. And you could also count Cabaret as a backstage musical. I guess so, yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Um, uh, again, I, I, I think with a backstage musical, some are done so well and some are done a bit iffy. I think 42nd Street's a bit on the iffier side. But something like Cabaret, if we can include that as a backstage musical, and Coruscant, it's both making a, critri- a critique, critique on... Uh, what it's like to be part of the industry, but also how music and the musical form can affect us as an audience member. Mm-hmm. Like Cabaret, I always say, is a great form of distraction. Yeah. And it uses its kind of backstageness to distract an audience to the kind of devastation that happens at the end of the show. Yeah. And it's the same with the it's with Chorus Line. It's kind of a... It uses the musical form to really showcase different actors' lives and kind of how far an actor will go to get a role and push themselves, you know? Yeah. I also feel like with a backstage musical, it's like stressing the fact that like when words fail, when you can't say anything with script, music will always prevail. It can always be said with music and said maybe more eloquently. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I think next we need to like look at what are follies. Do you have much idea of like... What are follies? Because (laughs) like, like I didn't realise how much the idea of a folly would play a part of this show, Mm. if that makes sense. Um, so I haven't really done a ton of research on Follies. I did a little bit when I came back from watching the show. But from what I understand, it's a review, which means that it's not necessarily like a story, but more separate performances. Yeah. And Follies themselves were like these beautiful, elegant women that um, kind of like showcase their like talents on stage in these like elegant, extravagant costumes. It made me think of kind of like um, a talent show, but it was like all women. It was very like, I want to say for the male gaze. It was like hinting at sexuality, but like in a way that was very, it was all about the glamour and the glitz. It wasn't like raunchy. It wasn't so much cabaret-esque. It was more about... um, Glorifying. Glorifying. Which is what they have up on, if you see the set of Follies, is they have that up on the the wall. It says it's glorifying the American girl. Obviously, it does like showcase a couple of men, but I think the forefront is for, um, for the women and showcasing the women. Um, for the men. For, yes, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, like you are, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God damn you, Lucy. Um, but um, I think another thing we need to think about with Follies is the time that they were set as well, Definitely. because we don't have Follies these days. Like no. uh, we have the Rockettes, which mm-hmm. is over in the States, but that is kind of the like tradition of the Follies taken into the modern day. And we don't get a lot of those type of reviews anymore. Definitely. Whereas I think kind of in the early 30s, 40s, it was at the time I believe the Follies were around. No, much earlier. I remember there's like, it goes all the way back to like the 1910s. Oh, does it? Because I know Ziegfeld Follies, but I'm not exactly sure when, when that was... I think that's definitely pre... So, yeah, Ziegfeld Follies was 1907 to 1931. Yeah. So, yeah, early, early days. Really, really early. So, a lot of this idea of who these women or and both men are is that it comes to a specific time of mm-hmm. when the Follies were this glorified figure. Because, um, obviously, this show, Follies, is not set in the modern day. It's set in the 70s. Yeah. So, we kind of have to take it out of what are... You kind of have to, like, remove it from the present day and then also think back to this very very early time period at the beginning of the 1900s and kind of think what the people in the 70s must have thought of that and and because there's women from each of these different decades you really you have to have some historical context to see this musical and appreciate it in its yeah in its form exactly so yeah it's it's kind of the idea of like follies was of a different time Mm -hmm. and a different kind of era now i guess we're like nearly 100 years beyond the time of the follies so it's really not not the era of the follies yeah i like that yeah. Um, so in regards to that, what would you say is kind of like the message of Follies as regards to like a backstage musical, if that kind of makes sense? Like what, what is what is Follies saying? I think this is kind of just like a sweeping generalization sweeping of what, what Follies means as a musical to us or just to anyone. I think it the word that comes to my head is nostalgia about yeah. looking back reflecting on your past reflecting on the person that you were and now the person that you've become yeah and i think that's something that everyone can take away from the musical is like the decisions that you make and and how they change you and set you on a different path and how not everything's as it seems yeah there's like this facade yeah it has a really interesting concept to it this idea of like the follies being the ultimate glamour of how musical musical theatre, well, I guess musical theatre in the early days kind of plays on the lives of these characters as they go. Because uh, how the story works is that, again, this isn't really a spoiler because it's nothing that happens later on, you hear it from the start, mm-hmm. is that you come to Wiseman's 
uh, theatre and it's going to be destroyed. Yeah. And it's a nice reflection of this idea of the theatre mirroring the lives of what the characters are. So this kind of falling apart of this once glamorous theatre that was so renowned by everyone and so glorified and that kind of playing a part into how these characters that we're introduced to at the start have eventually ended up that they were once these glamorous figures yeah. who were renowned for being just these beauties and these like stellar stun stunners. Yeah. And now it's kind of falling away and it's being chipped at and destroyed and they're kind of becoming... It's not lasting the test of time. Yeah, like exactly. Ages. But there's this nice also look at reflection and again, like um, coming to terms with aging, I think, and coming to terms with what could have been or what had been and kind of the whole... But also celebration and what has happened yeah. as well. And it's that's what I think Follies is really interesting at looking at is looking at a different array of what it means to come to terms with your younger self. Um, okay, so we'll move on to like discuss more about follies. Okay. Um, I I think we'll kind of say a little bit that obviously these are our own opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I when I'm talking about these things, I I absolutely love what Follies was saying mm-hmm. as a show. I don't necessarily know whether I connected with it, um, but again, it's down to everyone's individual opinions. So kind yeah. of what we're saying, don't it's not the be all end all of uh, what our opinions and what the world's opinions of Follies are. So we're going to chat about some of the like concepts behind Follies. So okay. we're just going to chat about like the show in general. So what things did you like? What things did you not like? I mean, the opening grabs your attention. And I'm not even talking about the opening of the um, one of the Follies appearing. I'm talking about just when you walk into the mm. Olivier, mm-hmm. you're like, wow. Yeah. And Vicky Mortimer is an absolute genius yeah like I the was... fact that it's you knew it was kind of a revolve just because yeah, of the way that the, the set line, was yeah. um that the way it was like kind of turned but i was so intrigued by all the different levels and it it seemed massive and i've seen productions in the national before uh, in the olivier sorry um that blow me away like one of them i always remember is the beginning of our country's good um it was this um ab- aboriginal who used that plane um I think it was a didgeridoo and then as the show starts the set um it was revolved but then it came up and it was a ship like an entire ship like from the bottom it was like flat and then it oh my god it honestly it like blew me away it was absolutely incredible and this was one of those wow moments yeah um just for the spectacle also just the colors it was so poignant of the time like the Mm. 70s also you saw like each how each decade was like built upon with the theatre. I thought like all the yeah. different things that you yeah, could yeah. see the progression of like the 1900s all the way up to the 70s and how it really did look like it yeah. had um, naturally... Like, yeah. What's Decay. Like, like eroded like, yeah. or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. But yeah, that's something I agree with. Like it just looked so real. I remember since you turning to my friend and being like, it's so dusty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just... I can feel the dust. I think it was just so genius to set the whole thing of like it revolving and then it moving away and then coming back mm. on and like changing. I was like wow yeah um, also the revolve really made me of like the clock is always turning like even yeah. as the story progresses like these characters are still getting older and life is still continuing where the theater was staying this it was it was obviously aging but it was stagnant in the 70s like, it was going to get destroyed like yeah, that it absolutely. stopped so when it stopped revolving halfway through kind of that last hour you were like okay and when it disappears for the last yeah. time you're like okay well this is this is it. Yeah, and I think just in general, the the whole design of this show is just like unreal. Like it's on another level, which I guess goes with this idea of glorifying yeah. what was and what is not anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know a really interesting fact about the um, costumes that the girls wear in the Mirror Mirror song. Oh yeah. So it's made of Sw- Swarovski crystals. Oh yes. Um, but apparently, the way that the diamonds are placed down their dresses is uh, Morse code for mirror. So it's like, what? it's like big diamond, small diamond, small diamond, big diamond, small. Like, you know how Morse code yeah. works? It's like beep, yeah, yeah. Like, beep, 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 That's how it's designed down that's there. Crazy. Which is like amazing. Thank you for my friend for giving me that fact. Um, but it's just like such small attention really to detail, details. which you don't see in a lot of other shows. I just felt like even the chairs, the red, the specific color red that they picked. And I was like, oh, that was so rich yeah. and so rouge. Like the, the graying background, the, the, the word, it says follies, it says something Wiseman's Wiseman's Follies I forget that um, Wiseman's Follies even every light was just it was a, like too yellow for now I know that sounds really weird yeah, but it no, wasn't a light that was produced in the 21st century it was 
of when it was created. Yeah. Like, it was just so like, real. Ev- yeah, even the lighting itself, just, like, casting shadows and mm. casting, like, like sunlight or moonlight in certain scenes and, like, lighting up the ghosts in the background and just how it's so cleverly yeah. and intricately thought was just really, like, really, really stunning. And the transitions between day and night, like, you knew the um, the whole song about, like, the, the calling up oh, uh, to the... Yeah, you knew it was there. at night. You knew it was at night, like yeah. just from the lights, like the warmness of the lights that were on the staircase, and yeah, it was darker on the stage, so you knew that they were outside, like the interior versus the exterior. Like the lighting design is like perfect for those specific yeah, scenes. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think it was really fitting to kind of what it was trying to say. Uh, what was your thoughts like about the choreography? Stunning. Yeah, so good. My when we saw the show, there was a lot of little things that went wrong. Oh, okay. So, like, for example, this is not so much with the choreography, but I guess it's, like, because of the choreography. There was, like, a bracelet fell off. Someone's necklace fell off when they were spinning. Someone, um, one of the male ensemble members, I can't pinpoint who it was, otherwise yeah. I'd obviously say his name. Um, His heel fell off his jazz shoe. <gasps> when they spell out love in... Loveland. Loveland. It didn't spell. Oh, she no. had her... Um, I don't know, it was like the, a backpack. Yeah, like fan. peacocky it was on, thing. Like it was on the wrong way. And you could tell she was just absolutely mortified. And when she turned around, like obviously they wiggled like their bums in the audience. It literally had like VE on the end. Oh, oh it was just so no. like, oh, like it was so horrible. Um, But to do with the, the choreography, um, with all these, that's what I was trying to say, like the accessories and these costumes to fit, every single costume fit the choreography that they were doing. Mm. Like it was so perfectly matched. Um, and it was very, I thought every choreographed sequence was very representative of the character that was doing it. Yeah, exactly. It was I very tailored, agree. which yeah. I thought was really lovely. And it was just nice. Uh, it was, because I always find that like when you get choreographed numbers like that, they tend to fall into like a musical like 42nd Street. And it was good to see sort of like, it be put into kind of a more serious musical that yeah, you can definitely. still you can still have these serious moments but you also have these big tap numbers like there's always this joke with any kind of like theatre creative like Where's it's not a musical number? if it's not a tap number and yeah. it's good it's good to see that like you can kind of break that and you can still have a really kind of substantial show yeah that's got that type of like choreography in it and especially you know? that number I feel it broke the boundaries of um like aging the the fact that everyone was dancing together mm, as well yeah definitely like they all they made a joke like oh we all remember it like ha ha we still but, got it. but they do still got it. Yeah. Like it, it was kind of meta in the fact that we were watching these performers remembering the choreography from so long ago, and yet they are still doing it. As, yeah, and like, I think play within a play within a play. I think you know it's I mean? another thing of like coming to terms with like it's, it's exploring that idea more. You know, like yeah. it's like yeah, we still got it. Like hell yeah. Um, okay, cool. So yeah, we've kind of done that. Um, I think an, a really interesting thing that I found is that kind of style and the concepts behind it with the ghosts with the ghosts and i kind of want to chat a lot about that because that was something i found really interesting mm-hmm. and i guess i so i've never seen another production of follies before mm-hmm. um but i guess it's probably done in most productions that they have the ghosts i don't know how much they play a part in but this production they were like pivotal to everything that was happening oh yeah and from the start you immediately see them connect to the woman that they once were yeah and i loved that yeah, i think that was what my biggest takeaway from this show was was how ingenious that idea was it was so clever um and it just you saw a glimpse of each of those women as their younger self and kind of what they represented to yeah to the the wiseman's follies and especially like the the main four their disgust at what they'd become as well was so pivotal to the musical because you saw that they didn't expect their lives to end up like that yeah. and also just like the expectant the expectancy of what their lives would be versus what they are and then also versus what they wish they had been it was yeah. like very like oh all these different do thims. you know the reason i don't know why but I, I couldn't work it out why the two youngest characters phyllis and uh sally weren't in folly's outfits no that always um... because i don't think it was just for like easy sake of like oh because they've got to do a lot of moving around that they can't be in glamorous outfits i didn't i couldn't work it out i didn't Oh, maybe I missed a part of the story where it kind of explained why they weren't. I just thought that the most prominent thing from their time at Follies was meeting the husbands. So that's why they were not in the Follies costumes. Maybe it was the idea of what what was their... Normality versus... What, yeah, what what yeah. did they kind of... You know when we say, like, when you go to heaven, you end up as, like, you have that one... The best time yeah. of your life is kind of how you live the rest of your life. Well, is that kind of the idea of what their, like, ghost is? Is how they want to remember maybe. themselves? 
also I guess like their ghost versions of them in their costumes is very performative maybe it's saying something like they were actually performing the most when they were with the maybe, men maybe yeah whereas like because I know like Tracy Bennett's character who's Carlotta obviously like she was all about like the fact that she's like this ballsy gritty like yeah. fighting through the uh, fighting through the times and maybe that's that how she puts on this performance and that's why she was that kind of mm. ghost character interesting I'd be if anyone knows uh, in the uh, of our listeners let me know because I would love to uh, no yeah it was it made the stage very busy I found though very busy um, which when we talk a bit about the narrative it, it made it a bit difficult to follow because you wanted to follow everything. Because I wanted to see the ghosts because I found that really interesting. Yeah. And it was also hard, especially at the beginning and especially because I was quite far away, to really succinct the ghost with the older version of themselves. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, is that the right, like, not is that the right one, but who is that, who is she going with? Where is she following? Because they did, they walked off at the same time. Yeah. But there was just some points where I was like, ah, ah, what's going on? Like, yeah. I want to watch that. I want to see their reaction. I want to see this. I want to see that. But it, it was very busy. Yeah. Well, what do you think the ghosts like overall represented in a way? And why do you think they were placed there? Well, I think it was all about, it's a, a nostalgia. Yeah. And it was like instant nostalgia. Like, boom, this is. Because what I noticed going through is that the ghosts always looked at their person, but the person never looked at the ghost. Apart from... Apart from... But, oh, you know what I did realise is that a couple of them did when they wanted to draw something from them. Yeah. Like in Broadway Baby, which was sung by Hattie, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I right in that one? Yeah. Yeah. Which was sung by Hattie. She turns to her ghost, kind of goes to touch her, and then spins and sings the, like, big last part of the song. Yeah. Same with the opera woman. Yeah. That she has this moment of connection with her. And was it the moments that they when they come to terms with their their younger self, that they're able to draw something from that? I think so. That's what I kind of got from What was it. the moment that you caught when... I was... My moment that I was talking about was when Buddy would look at the younger Sally. That's what I... He was did a lot of longing... Older, older Buddy. Uh, older yeah. Buddy, looking at the younger Sally and, like, longing for that youthful, exciting... Same with Ben. Ben yeah. always used to look at yeah. the younger Sally as well. So maybe... Because he didn't... Yeah. Maybe it's uh, the ghosts represent more of an idea of what they represented yeah, as a younger like self. Yeah, maybe an idealistic view. Yeah, so when, when the, when the uh, like older characters look to the younger characters, they're kind of coming to terms with their idea rather than like yeah. a person, you know? That, make, that makes a lot of sense. And also... May, maybe it's the ghost is the idea of the thing that they left behind or mm-hmm. the thing that they were when they were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of being like, kind of like, I'm the younger self who's still living as a ghost floating around this haunted, yeah. like... Yeah, but are they ghosts? I, no, I, what... don't, I don't think... That, I'm just calling them ghosts yeah, because they kind of... That's their, like, characteristics. <laughs> they are. But I think, yeah, they're, they're more of, like, a represent, representation of, like, like a, an, an image of a, what they were. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Because that would then make sense as to how they draw, when the characters go to draw on them, what they're drawing from that character. And I also feel like it unified all the women, even though they were from very different decades, the fact that they could all dance together. Yes. That was lovely. Yeah. The fact that they all lived similar Yeah, um, so instead of being so, like, chronological, it was more like, yeah. Yeah. Universal. Yeah. Um, Cool. Uh, And then another, like, stylistic thing that we'll talk about is the dream sequence, the follies sequence at the end. Yes. Um, which again, I found really interesting, but very kind of, whoa, okay, this has come out of nowhere. Yeah, it was very, a show within a show within another little, that's, I thought it was very performative for the audience. It was was very addressed to the real audience at the time of the show being performed. Yeah, yeah. Um, Um, and again, I think with my biggest issue with this is because of the characters, which we'll speak about when we talk about the narrative next. But I, I, I don't know. Like it was, it was cool because it was the idea of uh, a review and a folly. Yeah. Um, and the the innermost desires of the character being shown on the stage and giving them an idea of what the character's really thinking. But I don't know whether I really thought it should have fit in at that point, and whether I like got that it was there. It's it's just really it's a struggle with this musical because of the length of it and because there's no interval. Yeah. I feel like if there was an interval halfway through, you could have you could have digested act one and then really got to grips with like what you thought of the characters. But I found, especially to do with like the sound, like 
I was like missing like a few of the lines, a few of like the details that you needed to continue and really invest in these characters and root for them or I don't know, go against them. Yeah, exactly. So like by the time the dream sequence happened, I was kind of like, okay, but what do you want me to feel about that? Do I want to, do I, I, I was confused with how I was supposed to be feeling yeah, as an audience yeah, member. Yeah, I completely agree I was like, you. do I want to be empathizing with Sally for losing her mind? Do I want to be celebrating Phyllis for this fantastic dance routine? Oh I mean, God, yeah. oh, slay girl. Um, do I want to, you, do you know what I mean? I was just confused yeah. on like how I should be feeling, which made me uneasy as an audience member. Yes. Yeah. Or maybe that was the point. No, hundred percent. Um, and I think that like really easily flows into kind of the idea of chatting about narrative now. Um, this this was my biggest flaw of the show. I think. Um, I when I when I saw the show, like it was so annoying because I wanted to love it so bad. And don't hate on me, haters out there, but something just didn't click. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously, firstly, I think I got overhyped in the first place because everyone was like, "This is the most incredible show ever." Yeah. Which I mean, it's still a very good show. Like yeah. I'm not saying it's not. Um, but when I came out, I was like there was just something that wasn't quite there for me. And it took me a while to work it out, but I, I, I think for me, it was the idea of how they explored nostalgia mm-hmm. and aging through the four characters in the lead. I will say now that the moments I loved the most were uh, Carlotta's song, I'm Still Here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get my facts out now. Um, Heidi's song, One More Kiss, who she's the opera singer. Yeah. And then uh, Mirror Mirror, which is the song is, um, I can't remember what the song's called. Who's That Woman, which is sung by Stella and the Ladies. Those are my three standout moments because it was a really interesting way of exploring what it means to come to terms with your older self. Yeah. Um, And what I really struggled with was a a love square between these four characters, which I didn't feel just really hit me. Mm. I didn't like them as characters. I, I, apart from Janie D's character who just slayed the game. Yeah. I, I loved her so I just, I just found Sally and Ben and Buddy just to be very dislikable characters. They were very and, also like, I don't want to say whiny, but I also whiny. like. Yeah, and I understand that they're meant to be flawed and it's meant to be kind of the imperfections of the human condition. But yeah. for me, I there just wasn't any like... I don't know, there wasn't anything gaining me back to be like, I want to kind of follow them. Because, like, you know, like any any show, you want to have a sort of protagonist that you're like, I'm rooting for you and I want you to yeah. do well. Even if you had like a standing on one of the characters, you could be like, yeah, I want Phyllis to get with, um, I want her to end up with Ben because I think that's like Ben's being annoying. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? But it was really hard to stand behind or get an opinion of any of them as and, an audience. And member. like, I'm... I'm never very good with a like leading romance story anyways. I find it quite very cliche for musical theatre especially that is always led by kind of like maybe a love triangle yeah. or like a, a like and I just I just didn't necessarily like and I know you're going to probably speak more about maybe the story not fitting to us as people now. Yeah. Um but I thought when the dream sequence came, which is what we were speaking about before, I just didn't feel like I had enough feeling towards any of those four characters to be like oh my God, losing my mind, I, I've got you now, you've completely redeemed yourself, to then have that ending be kind of bittersweet, you know? Yeah. I was just like, oh, okay, cool. But go go ahead and chat about what? I just think it's, it is a musical that is all about nostalgia, and I don't know whether us as young people have ever felt that strongly about the past, because we haven't been alive for that long. Yeah. So I don't know whether, especially because the audience was predominantly an of the older generation when I went to see it, whether they really get this musical, it really clicks for them because they know what it's like to be kind of followed by people that they should have become, you know, people that, um, the ghosts, if you want to talk about like them as ghosts, like they understand what it's like to not live up to expectation or to exceed expectation or to have changed from the person that you once were. Yeah. So I don't know whether they get it and that's why there's such a, um, uh, hype, hype, hype yeah. Right, yeah, with the older generation, and I think maybe it's because we haven't had enough life experience to really yeah, feel that yeah, yeah, really strong nostalgia. Um, I think as well, you were talking kind of about like the morals of the characters and how it's very different. It's very set in a time of how these characters act. Yeah, because like going back to the thing you were saying about how um, love stories and stuff don't you can't really like connect with them at like, any really like we just don't like them. Not yeah, just said. like nowadays, it just gets very cliche to see yeah, a lot very, of like love stories. Yeah, well, but in maybe like in the 1970s, especially this love story, the fact that it's all very messy, very tan, like tangled yeah. in between, like that would as that's 
very different uh, morals whereas I feel like now like divorce is very common cheating scandals are very common um try love triangles love quads love five six seven eight <laughs> nine tens like that, polyamory that, yeah like it's very out there it's spoken about a lot more whereas in the 70s it wasn't yeah um and especially because maybe that's why it is relevant for that older generation who have a different set of morals than we have yeah, grown up with yeah I understand that um society has just changed yeah it was just a difficult one and uh, the biggest problem was is that because the story was so bitty in mm-hmm. a way and there's like a lot happening there's a lot of characters to follow yeah i found myself my mind wandering to the ghosts yeah and kind of the spectacle of the show because it's just so stunning and then i'd lose parts of the narrative and then like they'd be saying stuff later on and be like that doesn't make sense and then it lose me more and yes. i just find my mind flitting to other places yeah so when it got to like the big climaxy moments i just didn't feel like i was quite there with them yeah and i don't think that's any of anyone's fault i just think it's just difficult to kind of keep interest especially with young audiences where we're looking for kind of new and innovative stories and plot Definitely. lines to follow to kind of keep interest. Yeah. I think in 1971, when obviously this premiered at Broadway, probably these interlinking stories and how they give the audience a little tidbit of information and then later on they're like, oh, that's why this happens. And you can kind of link it together. Where we are conditioned, I think, because we've grown up with more creative, innovative um, pieces of theatre. I'm not saying that this isn't either of those, which obviously It's more of our time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're... I don't know if we're like a little bit like more on it. Like, like, oh, we know where this is going. This has been done before. We've seen this. Well, I think it's it's because it's like the tropes of, of those type of stories. Like, you know, like when it's like a love triangle, it's like, oh, we know that this is going to happen. Yeah. It's like, it's because we're so used to seeing it that we kind of get what's going to. Yeah. And then maybe it's because we can't really identify with why maybe Phyllis stays with Ben in the end. We can't understand why Buddy, Buddy would take back Sally. We understand that it's because of, of love and of this deeper rooted relationship with the person. But because we haven't ever experienced something like that, mm, it's kind yeah. of like, oh, but... And also... the Because we're still because... technically at the ages of what they would have been when they were at the Follies. Yeah, we so, are the Follies. Yeah, we're, we're at that, <laughs> that period of our lives. Um, but, any, but moving past that, I do want to commend the diversity of the narratives and the characters' storylines mm. as well, because you had so many different explorations of this kind of concept behind the show um, through each and every one of those women that were on the stage. And it was really nice to see, especially kind of like the idea of a woman's coming to terms with um, the ageing. So I think, I think yeah. we kind of commend it on on the kind of diverse narratives and them exploring a lot. Yeah. Even though sometimes it did feel like there was a lot happening. Yeah. And also, like, um, as well as the woman's story, but, like, the man's story of, like, them not always being... Because, you know, in in theatre, men have a... a very... um, a larger expiration date than women do. Yeah. Um, So it was nice to see those stories um, explored as well. Yeah, especially. Them not being the strapping young lads they've always been. But also on the other side maybe for the older generation they enjoy seeing this because it's themselves reflecting on stage yeah, I do true. feel like in musical form there isn't a lot of older characters like the ones that I can think of is like usually like the grandmother or like yeah. the queen or like yeah, Donna in Mamma Mia like she, but she's still like what like yeah, 50, 40, 50, 40, yeah. like... Yeah, it's it's uh, it's also really amazing because these older performers on stage, like, are slaying They're at the, the top of their like, art, like, let's like, be real. You'd, you'd think that they would be not being able to catch up with the younger performers, but they no. are, like, there. Like, the opera, there. opera singer, I was like, oh, slay the game. Yeah. And the woman who does uh, the tap number, who's uh, Stella. Which maybe is why it is very poignant to have it on right now when we are in the midst of discussing things like race, age, um, sex gender yeah all that kind of thing to have all these all the characters being like no like this this isn't a thing that just um is the generation x or whatever we're called or (laughs) you know like um millennials like this is the thing that spanned like the the tropes of time so that's why we need to be keeping exploring these issues absolutely yeah so like overall do you think this was kind of like an effective way of telling like the follies idea and story do you think anything could have been improved I think it's a very innovative way of telling the Folly story. Yeah. Like, I don't know, especially with the, with what this musical represents, I think it's a pretty fantastic way of, of telling that, that yeah. story. I don't, I couldn't imagine it told any other way. Yeah. And it to be as interesting to watch. Yeah. But I do think the one that, if we're talking about effectiveness, I, I don't know whether 
it is an, an olden time thing to have a longer show, but two and a half hours of no interval, like it's really, mm. t- it's really tough. Why would you place an interval out of interest? I don't know. I think I would have done it, it after difficult. Tracy Bennett's song, which well, I'm, I'm still, still here. here. But I don't know whether that's big enough to be like a boom. That's boom. the end of first act. And I know why they've done it because I don't think there is a specific point yeah. where she could break. It has had intervals before, I believe. Oh, has I don't it? Know, but I'll have to look up Maybe, on that one. Yeah. See you on the. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. God, two, two, what, two hours fifteen was yeah. long. Especially because of the way that the kind of musical theatre is going with the shorter show times yeah. and having shorter shows and no intervals. So come from away, obviously, is a hundred minutes. Six is like an hour fifteen. Yeah. So seeing shows like that and then seeing this, it was like. Oh my god! I need an interval, yeah. especially because you know fringe theatre is more. Um, you can go see it a lot more readily. So like going to the fringe, you get into that pattern of like if a show's longer than an hour, you're like dying inside. Yeah. You're like, I need to leave this theatre. Yeah. Um, and so it was quite difficult. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. I think it's a very interesting. It explores a really interesting idea. I just think uh, the narrative is just a bit too far back for me to kind of get, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I think maybe it's just not for me. Yeah, still loved it. I left. I left feeling like just what you said that there was that maybe it had gone over my head. Like it made me doubt <laughs> myself. <laughs> I was like, oh god, maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's it, what they want. It you really to do. did make me. I was like, oh, am I missing something with the show? Have I missed mm. something? Is was it because I wasn't listening hard enough? Was it because I wasn't like looking hard enough? Because I got it. I feel like I got it, but then I was like, but. It's not reaching the level where I wanted it to. Yeah, no, I completely get you. All right, so um, we are next going to be talking about revivals. We've actually revivals. not we've not had any revivals yet. We've not spoken about a single revival on our podcast yet. Wow. I don't know how we've managed that so far. Well, a lot um, of the shows we have talked about are revivals. The 9 to 5 is a revival. Yeah, but like as in like... It's a the revival, first time, revival. Yeah, like okay. a revival, revival. Um, <laughs> not just so, a revival. big question. Why do we bring back revivals? Um, I think you've obviously got from a financial sense, if something has had a shorter run, like Follies did, but sold out fantastically well, obviously did the the national live screening and that literally brought a different audience in. A lot of people raved about the original performance, bring it back because it was fantastic and more people want to see it and you know it's going to put bums on seats. Yeah. Um, I also think that maybe with specifically Follies, it, it's because it... it starts that conversation about um age in theater about age of the actors about um reflecting an older generation on stage seeing themselves in the performance um in terms of the like the 2017 to the 2019 or are we talking about like just no no like way back way back because that's a completely different question though do you not think yeah and i also think bringing revivals back is kind of are we retelling a new story mm-hmm. i think or what i try to like when it's people bringing back revivals is why are you bringing it back is there yeah. a particular thing that wasn't in the original that or this because it's time now that there's a new story that, that can like be changed. found within there you know because it's different but it's for example like company i guess is a revival yeah but absolutely. obviously it's it's the genders have been swapped. It's telling a new story using the same narrative. Yeah. Um, and it's brought something else to the characters of Bobby and a lot of yeah, the pairings, absolutely. which is um, monumental. And also it opened that conversation about um, like women and also aging yeah. about like the time clock, especially in terms of like children and everything. Yeah, um, You're ahead of the game there, Luce, because we're going to now talk about some good revivals and talk oh about some gosh. not so good revivals. Guys, um, it? Yeah, I think Company is probably the best revival that we've seen yeah. within the past year, just because it's opening up not only a new idea of what Company can tell us about the like our gender our, politics our world yeah. at the minute, but uh, also yeah, how musical theatre as a form can be changed now yes. so uh, and that was a really great one I think another good one that's come back recently it didn't go on to West End but uh, Cabaret which did a tour oh yeah uh, because there's a lot of stuff resurfacing about politics and being ignorant yes and it's really interesting to bring that back up to resurface that especially with the fact that um, Cabaret is all about getting swept in a um underground political agenda and yes. it kind of being swept under the carpet and especially with in terms of brexit and in terms of like donald trump winning these kind of like this it was emulating the nazi Absolutely, party's yeah. win and it was very like oh my god this is happening and like yeah. it was very scary i remember watching it and coming away and obviously thinking about a lot of the things that we were going to deal with like our version of cabaret but then also thinking how prominent this is in our time now yeah definitely scary times um 
also, I feel like Fiddler, I'm interested to see how they, because obviously that's a revival. So when we eventually yeah. go see that. And there's been a rise in anti-Semitic. Um, yes, yes, indeed. Awareness. Yeah. I mean, it's always been around. It's never disappeared. Yeah, but, but like, there's, there's been... been a lot more resurfaces of like hate crimes and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what about some not so good ones? Not so good ones. Is there any revivals that you particularly am like, uh... That missed the boat. Yeah. Um, I personally, and I think I've mentioned this on podcast before, when you bring back Mary Poppins for the 10th time or Joseph. Right, and okay. I get why they're brought back because they are money, 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 yeah. straight in the bank. Interesting that they're both for children. Yeah. And like, there's always that argument of, are we bringing it back because we want to have kids come to, like a new generation of kids yeah. come to watch theatre. Which is a great play. Which is great because obviously yeah. like when you're young, you don't want to just be showcasing the same musical mm-hmm. again and again, you know, like you run out eventually of shows you can go see. But again, I always put it down to what are you trying to say today with this show? Yeah. And especially with something like Joseph coming to the Palladium this summer. It's just like, is there not another another children's show that you can bring that tells a better story than Joseph? Yeah. Also, linking it back to the news that we did at the beginning, retelling it, but giving it a more diverse cast mm. and saying something else about having children who are from the, that area of the world have that reflected on stage and not this Caucasian narrative that you've been retelling exactly. for and the past Wouldn't years. that have been a great narrative of like, or like a, you know... And having... also having the leading, um, a whole leading cast. You've got Hamilton. Yeah. But like... No, but I mean like, if you're going to bring back Joseph again, like we want to see you do, retell it, you know? So why, why have they missed the boat in that sense? Obviously we've not seen the production yet, so they could do something crazy dramatic, but from what I'm feeling, we're going to have to, yeah. It's going to be our closing episode. (laughs) You know what guys, we'll promise you if it's today, it will be our last episode. Um, It's just, it's just, you've got such a good opportunity to do something different with revivals, but sometimes I feel like they miss the mark. So, Again, we will see. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but yeah. Um, so Sondheim himself, he's had a lot of revivals. A lot of revivals. Because obviously he came to uh, the kind of the big scene in the 70s was kind of his big time when he did stuff. He started with like West Side Story with Bernstein. Yeah. And then he obviously started doing his own work. He did like Sunday in the Park. He did Company. He did uh, Assassins. Um, and obviously like Passion and Follies. Those were kind of his big ones that he then started making his own like voice out of. What are your opinions on Sondheim and his work? Do you have any opinions? Well, I actually haven't done a lot of Sondheim's work. I've never been in a Sondheim show. I know how challenged they are, challenging they are for the actor themselves due to the nature of um, the way he writes music, the fact that it's a lot of patter, it's a lot of um, very classic musical theatre style. I don't know if that's built up because it's... He's quite eclectic, up. yeah. Yeah. Um, He's very Marmite. You love, you love him or you hate him. A lot of people were like, don't get him, don't get him. But a lot of people like idolise sometimes. Yeah. But you just get a lot of revivals. Yeah. Because it's, I think his music does speak on a lot of different levels. Yeah. And it's very concepty. Yeah. Very conceptual. So it's not necessarily like a fixed point in time. Like obviously like Follies is. But you've got um, Assassins and you've got Company, which you can really plop anywhere. Yeah. And it's really good opportunities to explore different things with. So... And I think he's very clever in the fact that a lot of his stories might be set in one point of time, but they're not uh, they're not fixed. Yeah, I know. No, that, I I'm trying, get... I'm not, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, like I... company, you could take and keep retelling it with yeah. every generation, every decade that came along, and you'd find something different. Yeah, the same with I think like Into the Woods as well. Yes, absolutely, like you can absolutely. Re- yeah, you can recontextualize that as many times as you want. Um, set it in her. So I think that's why a lot of sometimes work is revived a lot because mm-hmm. it has a really good area to play with different stuff and tell yeah. a different story. Exciting which, for directors as well. Yeah, exactly. So do, do you think um, Follies, like, do you think it was a good thing that Follies was revived and do you think it has resonance today? Yeah, 100% I think it has, it has resonance today. I don't know if I got it fully. Yeah. Maybe if I saw it in 50 years, hopefully I'll still be alive, uh, four years, that maybe it would resonate more with me then um but i definitely think in terms of the conversation about um casting in terms of age casting in terms of diversity as well i mean there wasn't a massive diverse cast but it's definitely opened a conversation continued the dialogue that's already been presented on the west end um i think in terms of like, the music and stuff there were some bangers in there yeah um i don't know if i would listen to the soundtrack yeah i agree um 
There wasn't mm. really any standout songs, in my opinion. I like the Could I Leave You song that Phyllis sang. Yeah. I love that one. Uh, but more of a selfish point, like, oh, I'd quite like to try and sing <laughs> that. That would be quite nice. Um, what about you? Um... I think it was really interesting because obviously this show is originally set in the 70s when it was came to the theatre and it's cool to see that the idea again moved into today yeah whether I think it was good for resonance for us as younger audiences I don't know I can't answer that because I don't speak on terms of everyone for me I don't think it did mm-hmm. um but for, I'm sure for other people it does have a new resonance because we're now in an, an, an extra generation on top of that one that was originally in the 70s. Yeah. That I'm sure it, it does for those people who are looking back at nostalgia and that kind of idea. Um, I see why it was revived. And I just I just don't think for me it necessarily today has any resonance in how I feel towards my glory days. Because I... When were Where, where? where, are, when where are if you're living glo- them? <laughs> what if I'm living them, exactly. So who knows? Who knows? So we're now going to move on to the review section of our podcast today. Now, it's been a struggle, Anton. Has it? Yeah. Basically, everyone <laughs> loves this production. Good. We're literally in the minority here, Lisa. Um, so <laughs> it's got five-star reviews from The Stage, The Guardian, The Telegraph, What's On Stage. Wow, so Michael Billington. He... Michael Billington gave it five stars. Wow, of course he did. Um, also, even in the revivals, I've checked both the 2017 production with Imelda sure. Staunton. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people loved Joanna Riding's um, interpretation of the character. Okay, cool. They they said that it was different to Imelda Staunton. Uh, I can imagine. A yeah. lot of people said that she actually brought something different. The fact that she was a small, um, petite woman. She was obviously blonde. Whereas she also seems to me to be younger than Imelda Staunton, just in her presence on stage. As, and she offered a larger contrast between Janie D. Uh, I'm sorry, Phyllis and Sally, but obviously yes, Janie absolutely. and Joanna have a very stark contrast. Where Imelda was brunette a bit smaller but like, yeah. yeah um so this idea of like the perfect woman was more resembled in yes, joanna I get that. Yeah, small yeah. blonde soprano whatever yeah um so she was noted as a stand-up performer um she's arguably uh, this is from steven krasatsky's review five stars she's arguably oh my can i speak she is arguably a better fit for the role of a fragile yet ruthless woman who can't let go of the past um and apparently she's wonderful. She has this amazing mixing, crippling self-doubt and this steely selfishness. People who write reviews are really good at English language. Just saying, guys. <laughs> like, they're just the way that they yeah, phrase things. Yeah, it's just yeah. so much better than I can ever do it. Um, Natasha Ripley, Tripoli, sorry, um, says exactly the same. She wrote for the stage. She says her heart delivery of losing my mind is not merely heartbreaking, but heart destroying. As mascara bleeds down her cheeks, it undoes, undoes you completely. Um, so there is like some interesting phrases that these reviews um, use. So obviously we've got five stars from nearly every single review yeah you suddenly get like four and a half but that that's basically five they're yeah. just trying to be in an, <laughs> um so this is from a review by sarah crompton this is what's on stage now what's on stage actually gave the original production the 2017 four stars okay now the their review of the 2007 no the, the 2019 version was five but she says follies may not be an uplifting musical and it's certainly not a perfect one. But then doesn't go on to explain why it isn't a perfect one. And yet she gives it four stars and yet leaves you with this sentence. But in its devastating picture of the way that dreams of the youth turn to a bitterness of age, it's truly a terrific one. So it's not uplifting. It's not perfect. But it's terrific. But she doesn't go to explain <laughs> why it isn't um, why it isn't perfect. I, I, I'm... I'm really interesting i just feel like there's like a follies like mist that like crosses people's faces that they just see follies and they're like this is a good show you know yeah maybe it's like the preconcept <sighs> no yeah i don't i don't know but again i don't want to speak and say people's ideas are not as intellectual as others but i, I don't know it's just a weird one um michael billington five stars <laughs> the guardian love you so he says, the danger of follies is that it can easily succumb to nostalgia, a tribute to a vanished showbiz glamour. But while Vicky Mortimer's design combines theatrical debris with a peacock splendour, like how that 
well done Bill yeah because that that sounds beautiful that sums up like perfect Bill Dreamer's choreography evokes the uh, period precision of classic dance routines the production never lets you forget the astringent sadness beneath the spectacle yeah so I think that puts it perfectly on this like underlying tension this underlying grit um what do you think of these reviews i know you said about the mist well a lot of reviewers again are a lot older older. uh and i think this is what this argument comes down to the end and i don't want to say that this is a generation divide because i know people of our age that have like loved loved this um i just think it's how you connect to the characters and how you connect to the story and i just don't think it was was a thing that i could necessarily connect to doesn't mean it's any lesser i just think that like I just think there's this like follies fever that yeah. people are like, oh my God, this just is amazing. And I think that comes both from the spectacle, but also if you like the story, I think if you like the story, then it's like a click and you're done and mm-hmm. you've, you're like in love with it. Um, it's like Marmite, I think, you know, yeah. so it's a, it's a hard one. And it's but, done perfectly. Yeah. Like the costumes, the eloquence, yeah. the decadence. Exactly. And because it's put on at the national, so it's got to be considered as high art, you know. Yeah, it's so. very true. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to end on our conclusion. So we're going to do our little awards. And we're actually adding an award now for our second part of our season. It's going to be called the Backstage Hero. So it's going to be for someone who um, is in the creative team who we think has stood out. Because obviously we've done our stars of the shows, but we've only really celebrated the actors. And I think especially with Follies, there are particular creatives that I'd really like to shout out for this. So let's start with our Backstage Hero then. Who are you going for, Luce? 100% 100% Vicky Mortimer. Her set is absolutely stunning. Just as Michael Billington described it, it's like this peacock splendor with this crumbling debris where, as you said, it feels dusty. It feels really real. There's no detail missed. There's things written on the walls, on the stairs. There's like almost elements of like graffiti debris. It feels lived in. It feels like it hasn't been concocted and built for this production. It yeah. feels like this theater has always been there and they've just brought it in put it on the stage and then now they're going to tell a story on it and i think um that with how this musical makes you feel as you instantly walk into the olivier is something really special and i haven't seen a musical be able to do that with just the set design yeah yeah i completely agree well done vicky mortimer uh i am going to go along the same lines with the designers and i'm going to give it to paul constable for lighting design uh just because it's so beautiful how these little moments spot out on this stage and i think a lot of lighting designers kind of looked over because lighting is just something that happens on stage and yeah. you don't tend to really notice it and um, because again it's kind of like sound like you don't you don't want to notice it if you yeah. say in, if like, you do then it's bad <laughs> yeah exactly but it was just like small tiny little moments of like lighting up one of the ghost characters or like casting it shadow it was just absolutely beautiful so congrats uh stars of the show my star of the show is actually Janie D. I thought her yeah, 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 her presence on stage, oh, she's even before she opened her mouth, her accent, the way she would spit some of her lines, her presence as like a female uh, character, as like a feminist like her pantsuit her costuming was just down to a t and that was obviously and like, when she bloody kicks her leg like, like up in the air, I was bam! like bam ah! she is just a star yeah an absolute star um and also her connection with the other characters that like, you really felt this character's journey and also she is the epitome of subtext with a character mm. every single line you she said something but you knew she meant something different and yeah. i think that has to be noted yeah masterclass in acting by jenny d fair fair so i am going to give my this was a hard one because i wanted to give it to three um, you can't do that I, but i'm gonna give it to <laughs> one um i'm gonna give quick shout outs to Tracy tracy bennett and dawn hope who played carlotta and stella yeah um because they were really fab but i think i'm gonna give mine to josephine barstow who played hailey schiller mm-hmm. who was the opera singer yeah. uh just because that moment because you don't get a lot of opera in musical theatre these days and to have a moment where you have an an older performer perform it with such beauty and grace and it was such a stunning song and she connected with her younger self Mm -hmm. and this character didn't really have a lot to do in the show apart from this big number but I was captivated just in that one song and to be able to do that as an actress I think is a real is a real feat so my yeah I think Josephine Barstow is going to get going to get that award for me and Feathers um i'll start oh this is tricky um i think i'm gonna don't hate me i think i'm gonna have to give it (laughs) 3.5 um and i say this because 
people when we when I do my like measurements of how I do this five is like the most phenomenal piece of theater I've ever seen four is like has it's really really good and I get it it's just like there's something not there and then mm-hmm. three is like mm, I'm not sure and I think it's just in between that mm, I'm not sure and like it's just missing one tiny thing yeah so I think I'm gonna put it in there because between the combination of not having a particularly interesting narrative and also for me not feeling resonance with the show itself yeah. I think it's just gonna fall into that barrier between the two yeah which is a shame because I really 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 wanted to like it and I did still like it don't get me wrong yeah. I just don't think it was for me the most moving piece of theatre I've ever seen. Yeah. I would have to agree with you. Um, I'd have to maybe push it maybe like 3.75. Oh my 3. God. <laughs> <laughs> maybe like 3.9 recurring. Like, but I just don't think it's a four, but I don't, I don't want to give it a three. Do you know Because it doesn't deserve that because it is. Because it yeah. doesn't deserve it. Because like there's some elements of the show, for example, the lighting, the costumes, the set design, the acting in a lot of the scenes is absolutely phenomenal. Mm, yeah. But like overall as a, a show, like I don't know if I'd listen to the soundtrack. I wouldn't necessarily i don't know if i'd go oh i don't know maybe i would go see it again yeah so i think i'd go see it again just for maybe some clarity maybe it would be more cohesive if i had listened to the soundtrack beforehand i don't know if it was because i missed some of the things due to the sound yeah so that's why it's just so hard because i don't think i'd give it four but i don't want to give it three yeah all right so uh we now come to the end of our podcast. Where can we find you on socials, Lucy? Lucy Helen Performing Arts on Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. And you can find me at Anton, Ant- Anton, <laughs> Anton on Twitter and Antoine, XOXO, that's with two E's, at uh, Instagram. Um, you can also follow our production company, Taximan Productions, or uh, that is on Instagram or Taximan Prod on Twitter. We will be having an exciting announcement coming very, up very in the soon. next very soon. So please follow those. Uh, when you can all right so we're gonna finish on our little quiz what's so, gonna be the next so for those show? of you who have lis- not listened we always do a quiz at the end of our show with three questions um which give you a clue as to what our next show that we're seeing is what is so, the first question so our first question is this show is based around a family whose religion involves celebrating holidays such as Hanukkah and Shabbat. Hanukkah, Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Uh, second question. One of the most iconic songs of the show was sampled and then further covered by Gwen Stefani in 2004. Oh my God. <laughs> you know the one. You know the one. I just forgot that that was even a thing. And then the third, oh God. The third question is, rejected titles for this musical includes Where Papa Came From and The Old Country. Oh. So... We uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do not hate too much for those folly diehard fans. Or do. Or do, yeah, (laughs) do I dare you. Um, But yeah, we hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.